we're good. If he hadn't took that book, I was going to sing. <laughs> Y'all want him to take it. Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And I want to read the passage in its entirety up front. And as we go through the message to, I pray that it all does come together in the way that it's been impressed upon my heart, and I believe that, that it will. The Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, the feeding of the 5,000, and the title is Little is Enough. Usually we say little is much, but you will see the theme of enough here in a few moments. Little is enough in Jesus' hands. Let's pray together. Almighty God, what a wonderful time together. I take a moment and reflect and thank you for such a lovely church. We like being together, and I am so grateful for that. And we love being together in your name, Jesus. You are what it's all about. And I pray today that you will impress upon us individually, you impress upon us as a congregation, that that which we are and have to offer to you in your hands is enough. It is even more than enough. Forgive us of our sins in your precious name we pray. Amen. The passage is very familiar, and to begin reading, John chapter 6, verse 1, and it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Now where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Very important, of course, every word of God's word. But this Jesus said to test him. For he, Jesus himself, knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Think about the size of that crowd. A denarii was a day's wage. 200 days wages was not going to provide for that group. I say this because in biblically, historically, uh, it has been emphasized about the 5,000. And ladies, you know, things have changed a lot, but a lot of scholars say that that wasn't counting the women and the children. May have fed 10 to 15,000 people that day. That's what homecoming looks like around here, all right? So you be sure to be here early. It was a massive crowd. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. 
Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, and here's another critical phase, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over. There was still more. Little is enough in Jesus' hands. They were left over by those who had eaten and those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now I have to lay the foundation here and we'll do so, I pray, in a very deliberate, logical way as to where this message has developed in my heart. And that is on your outlines that many of you have and then on the screen here, the first point is the question, who am I? Who am I? And it is identified as the big question of identity. Who am I? I am studying at this point several books, and I had mentioned this one a few weeks ago. It's a brand new book out that is entitled Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager by Cara Powell and Brad Griffin. They interviewed approximately 2,200 teenagers. And in sharing with them, three questions seem to always rise to the top. And so they have based their book around those three questions and the response of those teenagers. Now, in case you think this is just a message for teenagers, just hold on a minute here. So here are the three questions, and that is they want to know, who am I? That's that big question of identity. Then that next question is, where do I fit? And that's the big question of belonging. Where do I fit? Where do I belong? And then the third question is, what difference can I make? The big question of purpose. Now what is fascinating to me is, for a long time, we have pretty well accepted what we call worldview questions. And how you answer those questions shows how you view yourself, how you view yourself in the world, and how you conduct yourself. And these are the worldview questions in Google sometimes, worldview questions. And the teenagers are right on target with the rest of us. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? I X'd this out in my notes for the interest of time, but we are doing very well. And this goes back all the way to Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is still being studied in psychology. And that is the basic human needs. He does it in a pyramid shape. At the bottom are physiological and safety, air, water, food, to be safe. Everybody's got to have these at the bottom level. The next level is love and belonging. Where do I fit? The next level is esteem. Who am I? And the next level is self-actualization when we have answered the questions, who I am, where I came from, why I'm here, why I'm going. Then we have found our purpose in life, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. 
And so I want us to consider these questions. And I wrote this up there, and, I'm, and I think it's probably true. Somebody probably back there is thinking, well, Brother Bill, you know, uh, this is interesting, but I've never asked those questions. I've never sat down and thought, well, who am I? Or why am I here? Or where am I going? Or things like that. Well, you may not have consciously asked those questions, but I can guarantee you every one of us have been trying to answer them. Whether we realized it or not, we are trying to figure out who we are, why we're here, and what it is that is the most meaningful in our life. And the problem is, is that we are not asking the right, we're asking the right questions, but we're giving all the wrong answers. So, they asked the teenagers, who are you? And that is your self-perception. How do you describe yourself? I'm going to give the teen version, and then I'm going to give you the adult version. Number one, one teenager said, I am what others expect. I constantly feel pressure to live up to the expectations of family, teachers, friends, church, and society. So who am I? I'm trying to live my life so that I can be what I think that other people expect of me. The adult version is, in Robert McGee's book, In Search of Significance, is the performance trap. And that is we live by the mindset, this is the adult version, I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. I must meet certain standards. I must live up to certain standards. And the problem is, is they are usually imposed on us by other people. It's called the performance trap. Teen number two. I am not smart enough. I am not pretty enough. I am not strong enough. I am not popular enough. I am not accomplished enough. I am not perfect enough. This book has just hit the press. 1974, Merton Stroman wrote a book entitled The Five Cries of Youth, and these are exactly the cries of young people back in 1974. I am not enough. I'm just not enough. The adult version is called shame. I have an inferiority complex. I feel sorry for myself. I am not proud of myself. I am not as much as other people. Team number three, who am I? I am my image. This was fascinating to me. I am my image. I cultivate the image I want the world to see through social media and beyond. I'm working on my brand and my style, and sometimes it's more like a mask that I wear. Nobody will be shocked, but out of the study, they came to realize that social media was the only extracurricular hobby shared by all of those 2,200 students. And so this teenager says, I'm developing a brand. I am branding myself. I am developing an image. I am trying to make myself the way I want the world to see me, but sometimes it's like I'm wearing a mask. 
What's the adult version? Materialism, brand conscious, certain brand of clothes, certain type of house, certain type of car. I am projecting an image. I am a living commercial. And that's the way I want people to see me. It's called, I must be approved by certain others to feel good about myself. Team number four, I am more than my label. So team number one was, I'm trying to live up to others' expectations. We do that. Team number two was, I'm just not enough. I, I, just, I, I, I just don't have what it takes. We live that way too. That team number three, I am creating a persona and there are adults out there creating incredible persona. And this team says, I am more than my label. I refuse to be labeled. <laughs> and I, this one here, I would love to meet this one. It's a girl, I think, if I remember the book. She said, if I'm in a group and they all look the same, act the same, dress the same, I get out of there. I like that. I'm not going along with that cult mentality. I'm getting out of there. She says, if I go somewhere and they're all wearing black, I'm going to wear red, yellow, or pink. She said, I am not going to be labeled or put into a pigeonhole. And for adults, these people are just weird. I'm kidding. They're the unconventional and the rebel among us. And we know there are those, like I ain't going along with any expectations. I'm not going along with any of them. So, who am I? Who am I? Like I say, we may not ask these questions, but we sure are trying to answer them. And I hope you agree with me, because I need this job. And this is very important. This has touched my heart deeply. And in their study then, you see point number two, that they came to a conclusion in interviewing teenagers who accepted Jesus Christ that one constant among them was that sense of who am I I'm enough. And Jesus is the better answer. I'm enough. A teen girl said, I didn't really know who I was. And I didn't really care either. And I was like, wait, why isn't this working out? And it wasn't until I realized, oh, that's a Jesus-sized hole that I cannot fill on my own. Then I knew who I was. Jesus takes a little. He takes what we call, you know, makes it enough in his hands. Very troubled teen boy, and it is a powerful testimony troubled home life, poor student, running with the wrong crowd and doing the wrong things, 
would come in at two o'clock in the morning and collapse on the couch and survey the TV channels, just trying to unwind for the night. And the book says that inexplicably, he came across a preacher and stopped. That's not inexplicably. That's the Holy Spirit. Amen. And he stopped and he started watching and he said, I don't know why, but I feel really connected to this message. I need to change. I need Jesus. He prayed the prayer at the end of that broadcast. Knew that something different had happened in his life immediately went online, Googled a church that he thought might fit him. They called him the next day. He's now a homeschool junior, and he's an intern at the church, working with young people who were in the same situation as him. And he says, when I go to bed at night, I don't turn my cell phone off because one of my friends might need me. God took him who he was, what he had, and not just made it enough, he made it more than enough in that young man's life. So who am I? The answer is, in Jesus, I'm enough. I don't have to be like anybody else. I don't have to fall short of anybody else. I, we, we must meet certain expectations in life but I am more than enough in Jesus. I am more than enough. You know, I struggle with think what to share sometimes, and if it won't go away, the word enough is what get captivated me for this message. You know, there are certain things that happen to us in life It's certain... Uh, Images that we have, it's certain temperaments that we have. We inherit some temperaments from our parents. Sometimes temperaments are, you know, developed through our relationships. Two of these adult versions, uh, I have, I'm not handicapped by them, but they are always there. And that is performance trap. Performance trap. What I do here today and tomorrow and the next day, I want to be acceptable to you. I also have some approval addict. I like to be liked, don't you? And if I think anybody's upset at me, please don't ever let on because I'm coming to you. And I'm gonna say, what's the problem? What have I done? What can I do? What can I do? Now our church, now you just listen to me. I know you are. Our church is, I'm telling you, man, we, we, like, a, we like a locomotive just barreling down the rails. Let me, we had a miracle this morning. We started Sunday school, amen. It was a miracle. We, the, look, at, look at how many people are here right now. We got a lot going on and we need a whole lot more going on. And we're just, try, we're just trying to keep up with it. I feel kind of like a preacher I heard one time, his church was in a growing area of a metropolitan area, and he said, I feel like that we're trying to lay rail in front of a running locomotive. 
And sometimes I just think, Lord, am I doing enough? What more can I do? There's so many wonderful opportunities here. And in the middle of the night, the other night, God said to me, enough. I thought, that's it. Enough. You're enough, Bill. You're enough. I'll take what little you have, and I can make more than enough out of it. And then I cannot help but reflect, and I pray that this is acceptable to you. There was no, more, no one any more surprised than me when God called me to preach. Fifty-six years later, people are still surprised that God called me to preach. Amen. Because I've told you before, we had our life planned out. We did. And that is... Please understand, I was going to go to Georgia Tech. I was going to be an electrical engineer. And as I've shared with you before, I was going to work with Georgia Power Company where the money was, amen? My daddy never saw a whole lot of it. That's what I was going to do. At the age of 16, the spring of my junior year, God had been calling young men out of our church into the ministry and I didn't think a whole lot about it until uh oh something's happening to me something is happening to me and I took my time figuring it out and praying through it I took my time because I felt like I was the least likely candidate and please don't feel sorry for me coming up through high school I was not an athlete that immediately excluded me from a certain segment. I was not a good student. That excluded me from a certain segment. Our teenagers can relate. And my family was quite insulated because, thank God, the church was the center of our life. We didn't venture out into the world. We just did not venture out into the world. And so I didn't know much about that. Very quiet, not any kind of emotional problems, just quiet. James, I got the problems now. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying. I was the least likely person in my mind. And so when I knew it was happening, I got up in front of the church, May the 1st, 1966, and told them that God was calling me into the ministry. Now you're going to love this. And it's a matter of record. I told him that God was calling me to be a missionary. Why? Because I could never see myself standing in front of a crowd of people and talking for, if they're lucky, 30 minutes. But I could see myself under a shade tree somewhere in the world talking to maybe eight or 10 people. So I began to follow the and jump through the hoops of the foreign mission board as it was known then. Then when I got to college in Vietnam was at its highest and I'm very patriotic, God in country, I went into the ROTC and I said, I'm gonna be a chaplain in the army. I'm gonna be a chaplain. I'm gonna serve God in country. So I came all the way through the ROTC. Then they made me jump through the hoop of going to seminary. So I went to seminary. The army did, I was credentialed by the army. And then when I got out of seminary, I gave them a call, Olivetti Branch out in St. Louis, where I think most of our records still are. I said, I'm ready. I got everything. They said, we don't need you. 
The war was winding down, and they were sending second lieutenants home like crazy. Now, I share this with you because I find it humorous. She said, now, if you were an African-American Jew, we could take you today. I said, Lord, she must think I'm Sammy Davis Jr. What is going on here, you know? So I never got in. And this is what is unusual. All the time, I was getting credentialed to be a foreign missionary. All the time, I was getting credentialed to be an army chaplain. And all of the time, I was pastoring churches. You get it? And finally, God said, you're to be a pastor. I hate to tell you, but I'm the most confused person in the building here today. Did you know that? So that should help you. We wander around. We're searching. 56 years later, and this is very touching, the pastor that you know I mentioned and his wife in their early 90s. He's my father in the ministry, and he is very health challenged this week. And I've been in touch, and the family's been in touch with me, Reverend Max Tucker in Rome. And it takes me back to all of those days. And I can tell you, I can tell you that if we will bring who we are and what we have to Jesus, we will live with the answer to that question, who am I? I'm enough in Jesus. I'm all I'm supposed to be. I'm made in His image. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am a little lower than the angels. In Christ there is no more condemnation. In Christ I am a new creation. And it's all by grace, a gift of God and not works. I hope this works. I don't know, I won't know. But that word came to me enough and I'm reading this book. And it doesn't just apply to teenagers, it applies to all of us because we live with these questions. Whether we ever ask them or not, we are trying to answer them. Who am I? Where do I fit in? Where do I really belong? And why am I here? What can I accomplish? How can I leave this world a better place? Jesus took five loaves, two fishes, but let's go beyond the loaves and the fishes. He took the gift of a child, and out of that made way more than enough. In Jesus, we're enough. In Jesus, we're more than enough. And out of those who came to that conclusion, they had another thing in common. They said yes to Jesus. I dread what my life would have been like 56 years ago if I'd have said no. I really do. Because it is absolutely a fascinating, wonderful life. Say yes to Jesus. He will take who you are, what you have, and he will make it more than enough. We sing a hymn of invitation. This word sees my heart. I pray that it finds a place in your heart as James comes to lead us in a hymn of invitation. <laughs>